Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your regular Fulham FC audio prescription. My name is Sammy James and it is a midweek special live from my living room. A nice little pod for you to end the week. Happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners today. And if there is one thing I am thankful for, it is the gift of Ryan Sessegnon, who put in the performance of his life on his 50th appearance on Tuesday night, bagging a hat-trick in one of the most nuts Fulham games I can ever remember. I'm also thankful to be joined by these two Fulham fans who are anything but turkeys. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad. Just about recovered from Tuesday night. Well, there's so much to discuss Indeed. today. I mean, we weren't sure if we were going to do a podcast after the Sheffield United game, but as soon as it happened, as soon as it was 5-4, rallied the troops, I said, we need an emergency podcast, and this is what we've produced on a Thursday. So, lots to get through. Let's have some three-word reviews from you, Jack, first of all, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, we had a lot of entries, as usual, with a, a big scoring game, and obviously one that people took to. So, MJG who came up with Defending for Wimps, which I really liked. Um, there were a number. Jacob Beaver, who said Don't Sub K-Mac, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Yes. Uh, and Morgan Carlton's Steel City Firefight. It was unbelievable. Blades of Glory would have been mine. Blades of Glory was yours. Um, uh, just to say that Fulhamish is back this season by Labrooks. Bet £5, get £20. You can do that by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. So it was an unbelievable game at Bramall Lane. Now we've had high scoring games before, we've had crazy finishes before, but Dom, have you ever, ever, ever seen anything like that? No, I, I sort of, when we went 5-2 up, I've, I, I get, it was sort of like when we went 3-0 up against Newcastle, I was like, well, what is genuinely happening here? And you expect when you go 5-2 up away from home with, I don't know, 20 minutes or so left, that it's just going to be a calm see out the game. Like, I don't remember a game when I've ever been watching where a team has been so under the pressure of scoring five goals away from home, but I reckon it's just going to be one of those games which just gets talked about for years. Uh, it's 100% that. I think we're going to be watching replays of that for years and years to come. It was an absolute epic, Jack. And it seems like an eternity ago, but Sheffield United actually took the lead. Um, Leon Clark, quite poor from Bussin, really, who was also beaten easily for their second. Many are asking, uh, including Tim uh, from Australia on Instagram. He wants a big shout out for the Australian crew down under. Um, when Betts is going to get a look in? We'll talk more about the Australian crew when the ashes are over. But um, <laughs> it, I think, look, it's a bad, it's a bad spill from Button for the first goal it is he should spill if he's going to you know if he's going to deflect it it needs to go wide it can't go straight back out at the same time for him, why why has John Fleck been allowed to travel that far with the ball and shoot like as in why is the why is the gap opened up from in the first place and you know that's I think what Savis will be more concerned about than than Button you know spilling it it's you know slippy it was greasy out there and goalkeepers do have their work cut out for them in those conditions to, to hold the ball and obviously it wasn't a particular masterclass from either goalkeeper at the end of the day there was 12 shots <laughs> and nine goals so it, it is one of those where you know you can't you can't say that either keeper had a particularly good game but at the same time you know against the league leaders who are flying well not league leaders but you know a high flying Sheffield United team who are high on confidence and and are looking to press early we can't be letting them have shots from you know 25 yards in the opening gambit so I think yes blame does need to be laid at Button's door but at the same time he shouldn't have been having to face you know that in the in the very first place it's an amazing turnaround from us though and let's look at the positives because overall it 
was a mostly very positive night uh, for Fulham. Yeah, and the amazing turnaround kind of all happened within a couple of minutes around the half hour mark. And it all started with the mistake from Carter Vickers, who gifted the ball to Ojo. We spoke on Monday's pod, Dom, about having a lack of luck lately. And that was a huge pivotal moment. It is, but I think Ojo still has to finish that to relatively well. The goalkeeper's rushing out and he puts it away quite well. But I think everyone sort of actually, and we'll probably talk about later about the whole statistic with Ojo playing and us winning or doing well and him not. But I think I haven't actually been that impressed with Ojo this season. And against Sheffield United, in any other game, he wins man and match by a landslide. But Ryan Sessegnon just has the game of his life. But yeah, he gives it away. And then Ojo scored. And we weren't playing well at all up to this point in the game, in my opinion. And it just changed like the whole outlook on the game, really. Because everyone was complaining, like, oh, the tactics are off. Why are we not playing a striker? Defence looks all over the place. Midfield isn't connecting the defence to the attack. And then two games later, we get a bit of rubber the green. And Ojo puts it away. And then after that is when we started full throttle going forward and then what I don't know how many minutes later it was when Sessegnon scored his first on his right foot and then no one no one actually realised actually that it was actually on his right foot I wasn't really thinking about it I was like wait I'm pretty sure he just curled that in on his right foot but yeah before the goal we looked out of sorts I think it's important to remember that you know Shea Ojo has been criticised in the past for trying too hard in terms of trying to score his first goal for the club and you know the miss against Burton where he hits the bar and then also he missed an absolute sitter at the back post against QPR if you remember ahead of just before he went off and I think you know he's been criticised for trying too hard to, to get his first goal so for him to get that kind of lucky break and stick it away straight away after you know obviously coming back from injury is, is potentially a real good positive for us because it means that he's not going to be afraid to you know he's not got that burden on his back of not scoring anymore and he, he's you know into his stride as such and I think we we discussed on Monday's podcast about Ojo and how you know maybe even though his performances hasn't haven't been great he he plays wide he sticks wide he stretches the play and he's not afraid to carry the ball and take men on and he showed that on numerous occasions and as soon as we you know started getting direct and getting at their fullbacks in the way that we haven't really in in, in previous weeks um we we really started to you know get some sort of luck going forward and you know people say it but you do make your own luck to a point and i think that you know, Ojo had already had one where he, you know, tried to lift it over the keeper after good work from, you know, K-Mac in the middle. Uh, he showed that he was lively, he was a spark, he wanted the ball and his kind of, I think his uh, return to the team can't be understated in, in, in what was such a good performance. No, he seems, like, he seems like a really key cog <laughs> in the Fulham engine in a way and we were all saying but especially in the lead up towards those kind of QPR Forest games and I think a lot of us and Fulham fans in general seem to be thinking that Ojo was some sort of weak link but there can't be any coincidence to the fact that we won the two games where he played in before he got injured didn't win at all in the six weeks when he was away and then as soon as he returns it has such a positive impact I mean I'm as surprised as anyone by this I think we said it um, at the time and we said that while Ojo's injury was upset it would allow other people to be getting a go what we failed to acknowledge at that point was that you know and harking back to this point that Farrell made about you know someone being in there to replace the kind of ball carrying ability of Aluko Ojo's not afraid to get the ball on the halfway line and then just drive down the wing even if even if he doesn't necessarily have that good an end product he's carried the entire team 20-30 yards forward and therefore allows Fulham to kind of implement that high press that was so successful at parts last season and it's so crucial to the way we play that we need space and we need to be in the opposite third of the pitch and that statistic about us not 
playing passes into the final third is because over, you know while these in these games where Ojo's been out we've been kind of toothless in trying to carry it into the final third and once we actually get in there we tend to stay there because we tend to keep possession and and all those things but you know without that kind of driving menace into the third and we were talking about we'll talk later about Tom Kearney's influence and how he carried the ball well as well with that kind of in mind when we do have those ball carriers to bring us forward we then keep possession in the right areas and therefore we're much more likely to you know find a way through in goal like we did last year let's talk about Cess baby because we haven't mentioned him yet what more can be said about this lad that hasn't already it was just unbelievable from him actually I was very disappointed it didn't end up being the perfect hat trick because maybe that cross from Ojo for his second being a tad high he might have got there with his head Uh, and as you say for that first goal on his right foot his unfavoured right foot it's an unbelievable finish and, and just proving any doubters wrong that he's not ready to play week in week out at this level as we even said on Monday's podcast yeah, proving everyone right that he's not a left back and he's a left winger yeah. I, I think every time he's played left wing you can see he's natural there Adoy can capably play left back and so can Rafa although he doesn't seem to be getting a look in under Slav so I think that basically just play Cess at left wing he's clearly literally not even clearly he just is our best player there or even our best player in general when we play him on the left wing and he was just exceptional on um, Tuesday night because we, I didn't expect him to have a right foot. When he cut on his side of his right foot, I was like, what's he doing? He's, he's, oh, every time he's done it, he's gone down to the bar and hit it across the goal or to whip across him. But he cut inside on his right foot and curled it beautifully into the far post. So, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with Session's performance. It was amazing. I mean, I think White Noise is the amount of things he still can't do. But, <laughs> so, but we all know what he can do with, with, all, with all his goals. And I, I think, yeah, the first goal is phenomenal. But I think... No, I don't think it's been underlooked, but the quality of the third goal I think is actually better than the yeah. first goal. Yeah, definitely. He makes the run himself. He, he goes down because I probably expect him to cut on his right foot again. Yeah. He, he goes down the left and just curls it into the far post. And yeah, it was just a phenomenal performance. And I think it's a performance that everyone will be talking about for years. It might even be like the Gareth Bale into Milan performance that everyone talks about. Yeah, well, I think it's up there in terms of importance for the respective club side and what it could do for us and our fortunes. Any coincidence in the fact, if you name Ryan Sessegnon's two best performances for Fulham, you're going to say Tuesday night and you're also probably going to say Newcastle away. Both with Floyd Ayute playing a false nine. Any coincidence? It's not necessarily a coincidence. My, my point actually about Floyd Ayute and starting lineup, it wasn't obviously who everyone wanted, but although, as, as people said, he didn't have a great game, he still was quite critical to the way we attacked because we had three phenomenally quick players in starting in the starting eleven and that's what caught Sheffield United out because a lot of the United fans on Twitter were saying that oh, we've never seen anything so fast when counterattacking. And yes, Aite might not might not be the perfect striker, false nine, whatever you want to call it. He is literally just playing striker. Whenever a non striker plays up front, he's apparently now a false nine. Hmm. That's not what a false nine does. It's just pe- people assume when a non striker is playing a striker position it's a false nine position, but his, his pace as well just helped the attacks and I think I don't know if it would have been as effective if we started Font or if we started Kamara there may be more of a natural striker but would it have worked with the system as well I don't really know because we saw towards the latter end of last season that the false nine system as people call it even though it's not a false nine system <laughs> is where we form with our best games like Newcastle away and like Huddersfield away but maybe it's not a coincidence but I think you just got to give all the credit to Ryan Sessegnon and there was a lot of perseverance through adversity for Fulham because not only did we blow the early goal we also then blew our lead as well and got back to 2-2 again through Leon Clark who had a phenomenal game for Sheffield United and didn't really deserve to be on a losing side for the 
well, the the quality that he showed on Tuesday. But then to find the lead again going into half-time, and this is a brilliant ball from Ojo. And we all say, well, Graham can whip in across, and that's what maybe we're missing. I mean, that's an unbelievable ball from the right. Oh, it is, yeah. And then Tottenham also does well to get, to get into the open position. And for some reason, I don't know what was up the Sheffield United defence. They just seem to always be playing a high line against a team they know has got a lot of pace in it. Maybe they weren't expecting that sort of line-up. But still, once you see the line, you might adapt your defensive line and play a bit deeper. But we seem to do that. We seem to have so much space in behind them throughout the entire 90 minutes or maybe 65 minutes or so once we scored our first goal. And yeah, it's just it's a brilliant cross and a, just a, it's an easy tap-in for Ryan Sessegnon. Um, going on later into the game, I want to come on to Kevin McDonald first. Um, subbed off and really um, our performance went quite dramatically south after that happened it seems like a bit of a nuts decision for Slav to make shock horror um, Fulham are worse without Kevin McDonald look K-Mac didn't have his best game in the world on, on Tuesday night he, he still was you know a very very important and very good cog but he wasn't he didn't stand out in the way that he often does maybe that's potentially because Fulham played better and so mm. Kevin McDonald didn't stand out because he wasn't the only player that was you know worth his salt as such but it was it was clear to see that you know it was that K Mac was was just doing his thing and, and being able to take over and let the and, and do what he did last year in terms of just do the quiet dirty work while letting other players flourish and obviously that's what he's brilliant at. Taking him off was potentially a bit of a, a nightmare move from Slav because Norwood failed. I think what he would have wanted to do was to push Norwood up into uh, Steph into Norwood's role and drop Norwood into K Mac's role like he played so admirably at the weekend as we said. What we failed to acknowledge was that obviously Norwood's head wasn't in that kind of sit back and defend mode and he'd already been trying, you know, those passes. And actually, if you look at the fifth goal, it's Norwood's pass that will come on to Norwood's passing. But it is, that is an unbelievable pass. But he's obviously there not sitting playing the K-Mac role. He's, he's involved, he's involved in the like sort of tight one-touch passing and he looks, finds a space and checks out and, and plays the ball. But obviously when Steph came on, we definitely didn't have anyone just shielding anymore. And suddenly our defence looked really exposed again. And it's, you know, testament to Kevin McDonald that even when he doesn't look like he's having a brilliant game, it's when he comes off that we fall apart. And I think that it just goes to show how crucial he is to this side. Because especially the third goal, I'm losing track, that Sheffield United scored was so easily, so easy. Midfielder just drifts through open space and allowed to have that shot from distance. Admittedly, it takes a deflection and that's unfortunate, but... Yeah, without Kevin McDonald, we just looked so vulnerable at the back and maybe the whole situation of the tight finish could have been avoided if Slav maybe just kept Kevin McDonald on the pitch, which seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, me, it also but... would have helped we had more than one defensive-minded player on the bench in, in, in Adeteo Eden. I mean, yeah. I didn't understand that at all. There's clearly defenders. We have Maddle, we have Jallo, we have uh, Suarez. And no, they weren't, on the, they weren't on the bench. I think it was, that was, I found that a bit odd. I found we've got there was loads of creative attacking players on the bench like we were winning the game like I don't know what it was 4-2-5-2 two, two at the time and then we brought two strikers on yeah it I, did seem it, is, it felt and I saw this on Twitter so apologies I'm not going to credit because I don't know who I saw it for, from but someone said that it felt that Slav was more concerned with not bruising people's egos than he was about getting the result which I thought was interesting bringing Hansen, you know Font and Camera who obviously the three 
not necessarily senior, but, but you know what I mean, the players that I would be expecting to be in lineups here and there, bringing those three on instead of, you know, potentially Adateo Eden or, or, or just maybe not or well, leaving think, an extra striker I think Tanatori would have been a good player to bring on. He would have stretched the, yeah, the defence. Uh, Shea Yojo was absolutely wrecked. after. His, I know it's hard to bring a player off on two goals when they could potentially get a hat-trick, but even before his second goal, Ojo was knackered. And you could see it, and I thought it was probably not the move to, you know, I think his move would have been to bring on another another winger for him rather than going for like you know two strikers and obviously we've we've spoke before about you know Cameron Font playing you know reverse roles and one of them playing on the wing but it, it seems a bit mad when when we had Delatore or or Eden on the bench just to even if it was just legs to stretch them to, to bring Font on there which is you know you know I'm 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 a big fan of Font as you know but I, I wouldn't have brought him on at that point in the game and. Um... We, we've said that obviously losing Kevin McDonald could have contributed to us completely blowing the completely safe three goal advantage that we had. But maybe without Tom Kearney, it all could have gone Pete Tong because the he was of, he The was amount of runs he made in the, in the last, last bit of the game was ridiculous. He was clearly knackered out of it. You could see it from when, not even when the final whistle went, not even when the final whistle went. It was like good two or three minutes before it went. He made one run surging run towards the box and he just literally collapsed after it. I think it was right near the end, but it was like, yeah, he was he was brilliant. It was the best game he's had since Ipswich away. I don't think he maybe was as good as he was in that game, but he was driving forward. He was creating the counter-attacks. And I still think one thing that not many, I don't know if it, it, it's appeared on the highlights, is Kamara's offside goal. Yes, what a strike. It's an unbelievable finish. <laughs> on the volume, I don't know what, 20, 25 yards yeah. out. On the wing. <laughs> yeah, on the wing. I was like, that hasn't just gone in right. I, I, I might, that actually just did I go mean, in. I mean, it depends. If the keeper's already had the whistle, then there's that to be said. It, but it's a, it's an unreal strike, yeah. It's so unbelievable. So you can't disallow that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you, can't, so you can't put it away from five yards, but you can put it away from 25 yards. We've also, did, we've also missed one thing, which is right at the end, um, Kearney surges into the box. And it's 100%, like a million percent a penalty. He, like, as in, he watch the replay again. Watch the final act before the Sheffield before United go up the other end and have like one last header on goal. As in, it's a stone wall, stone cold penalty, and the referee doesn't even like. He's not even looking at it. He's like, obviously, we're not going to give a get penalty to you because this game is five four. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nuts. Like, is in like one of the clearest penalties I've seen all season, <laughs> and it's just. But no one's even talking about it, obviously, because we won. But yeah, but it's mad that as in, obviously, if we'd had a penalty, it wouldn't have mattered if we scored or not. It was just. You know, to put yeah, the, wait, the, it wasted the time, probably put the game to bed. Like, uh, just bizarre that mm. it wasn't it wasn't given. But that impact that Kearney had in the final ten minutes and really keeping hold of the ball. When we've seen this season that we've struggled to hold on to leads, often you remember against QPR when we just could not make the ball stick in that final half of the pitch at all. We couldn't even have one or two touches. It was just coming back to us so many times. It's a miracle that we didn't concede that second goal against, yeah. against QPR. And maybe someone like Kearney was what we were missing. Just someone that has ball retention abilities yeah. at it, like higher up the pitch. So it was good to see. What impact um, just finally on the Sheffield United game could Tuesday's result have on our season it feels like a huge huge victory it may only be three points but to me it feels like it has the potential to be a turning point in our season that obviously depends on what we do in the next four to five games if we go and get poor results in that then it's not a turning point it's just another result but it has that potential to, to shift our season 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think we need to be careful with this one. I, I'm currently writing a column on on exactly about this, so I, I don't want to go into you know all of the detail that I'm about to use. But I think it's we I think we should be wary of being like that's it, that's the turning point. We still conceded four goals, which is not the kind of result you want as a turning point. Mm. You know, you want a, a comprehensive four nil win to to be a, a turning point for your season. That said, obviously there's massive positives. We scored a quarter of our entire goals this season on Tuesday night. <laughs> that's that's madness. So, you know, that's that's kind of, but we seem to have found some sort of form in, in the box again, which is good. Um, but we also need to be careful not to, to blow it out of proportion. We you know, we very nearly threw it away again, which is what we've struggled with a lot this season. We've actually been up in a lot of games. Um and we very nearly did it again. So, yeah, it's good that we didn't, but we could say the same about QPR. Um, I think it's important to, to note that we've we've done well and, and to, to recognise that and to accept it and, and look for it to be a massive positive on Saturday and to really try and push them on. But I, I would be wary of being like, that's it, we're back. And Dom, was it your greatest ever away day? I think game-wise, uh, on for a midweek, I was like, if it's midweek, it makes it better anyway. But a lot of midweek away games, obviously before last season, you're like, we'll lose. Like I remember the Burnley game when we were, um, I think first season down in Championship it would have been, and that was awful. But I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was just ridiculous because I was like, how have we scored five goals away from home and still be bricking it in the last minute? <laughs> that just, just shouldn't be a thing. And another thing I think just goes massively understated is Kamal booting the ball away in the 96th minute. Because we boots it the other way, as in towards where our where goal was and where us fans were, they just get another ball and um, just give it to the players for quick. But he boots it towards our goal, and then so they have to go fetch the ball. And it's one of the greatest yellow cards I think anyone will ever receive. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> that is the definition of taking one for the team. Yeah, but all is forgiven. You you do talk about obviously this could this be the boost for our, our actual season to start? I guess you could say. I mean. I hope it is, considering the run of fixtures we've got coming up. I'd say mm. until the 23rd when we've got Barnsley at home of next month, then we've got all winnable games in that time. Obviously, we've got Millwall at home. They're currently below us in the league. There's, there's not many teams who are below us in the league. We've got Brentford away, I think, or maybe on the same points, so maybe one point ahead of us. Yeah, same. Yeah, one point behind us. Yeah. And it's know. a derby, so anything can happen in that game. and that's Exactly. And we've also obviously got Birmingham at home, who have been really poor this season. But they're bringing about 5,000 fans down, is what I've seen. They've sold their complete allocation and we'll be buying a lot of the Putney end up assume and Sunderland away although they've got an awful home record it's Coleman and Simon so you never know what's going to happen there so I think it's just we've got a very very good run of fixtures which if we continue to play attacking wise the way we did in the Sheffield United game we'd be fine it's just we still haven't sorted out our defence which has been a problem for maybe the last six years yeah yeah, anyone can beat anyone at this division. And and also, I don't go into any game, unlike maybe the Premier League, thinking we can't get a result here. But still, this is a very kind set of yeah, fixtures. Yeah, we should tweak the system a bit and just make it more effective. Because, obviously, going forward, it's, it was very effective. We just need a way to shore up the bat. Because we know Callas is a great centre-back. We know Reem is a good centre-back. We know Fredericks is a very, very strong going forward. And we know Adoy is a very versatile defender. So we know they have the ability there. It's just them all coming together and making them a cohesive defensive unit. Yep, 100%. And I suppose the, the question that will be raised again and again is is that do they, are they better with a, a more vocal you know keeper behind them? I, I don't know if switching button after one bad game is the answer. There will be plenty calling for his head, um, as, as ever. Um, but it, I, I think that what we should be doing is working on, on building something here rather than you know chopping and changing we finally found 
you know, it looks like a system that vaguely works in our favour. And now with the personnel back fit to, to implement that system, we should be looking to, to make it work as best as we can. Yeah, I've, I've often been team button on this podcast and I'm going to stick with that certainly for now I think the only time I ever really advocated dropping him was towards the end of last season where obviously his confidence was shot and it was getting a little bit untenable but for now I think it's the right man to keep he made a couple of mistakes on Tuesday it was uh, it was difficult conditions not that that really excuses the mistakes but as you say I think on the back of a win I think it would be a silly move to drop Button but certainly I feel like his card's marked and he can't go on making poor, poor performances like he did on Tuesday yeah. because and that's the great thing we do have a good understudy waiting in the wings we haven't just got a 16 year old on the bench or anything like that or just uh, another gabble Karai we've got a very good backup on the bench so if Butts does continue bad form then I'm sure Slav will, will make, get a shot yeah. then Slav will make the necessary changes right we're going to go on to the Millwall game and your questions after this alright Sammy alright how do you feel about beer? Yeah, I like a can or two. How do you feel about free beer? Yeah, I like free cans as well. I like more than three cans, personally. Of course but you do. Here at Fulhamish Podcast, we have a deal for you, which gets you free beers with our friends over at beer52.com. Please do tell more. So if you go to beer52.com and put in the code Fulham, you can either get eight free beers for £0 plus post and packaging, or ten beers for £5 plus post and packaging. So... Basically, if you pay six quid, they deliver you loads of beers. That sounds pretty good. So you just pay for the delivery. Yeah. And you get free beers. Eight free beers. And does it support the podcast as well? My much-loved favourite podcast. Yeah, and we get benefits from beer52.com as well. Which means we can buy beer. Yeah, for ourselves. And maybe even for you at the pub before a game. Good stuff. What's the code again? Fulham at beer52.com. One more time. Fulham at beer52.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, still joined here in my living room by Jack Collins cool. and Dom Betts as well. So we're going to preview Saturday's game, I was about to say trip, it's definitely at home, uh, against Millwall. Millwall visiting the cottage for just the second time in 18 years. So it's certainly not an opponent that we face very often. I think in the 90s and the 80s it was a team that we played all the time but I guess during our time in the Premier League never came up in the Cups. So the only times that we face them in this millennia have been in the first season down in the Championship and I remember that game vividly, the first Millwall one, and just realising oh God, this is going to go horrendously. And we didn't score against Millwall in either of those games, so hopefully uh, we may get on the score sheet uh, in this particular one. Very organised side Millwall, hard to beat. Um, they got into Championship last season after a couple of seasons in League One via the playoffs. They don't score too many goals. They don't concede too many either. You would imagine there's unlikely to be nine goals in this one. Yeah, I mean, I'll be quite intrigued to the way we set up in this game because we're going to have to set up differently to the way... We played Sheffield United. Like me and Jack have mentioned it, that the players we've got at the moment are very suited to counter-attacking style of play, and that's what we did against Sheffield United. But that's not going to work at home against Millwall. We're going to sit back and defend. So we've got to find a way to play the same style of football, but just adapt to the opposition, which I think we've complained that Slav hasn't done. And I think we we've said this a lot of times. We need to go at them from the first whistle, mm-hmm. and not just try to keep the ball for a bit and then get them in the maybe last stage of the first half. I think we go straight at them and, and do get that early goal, which proved last season to be effective ways that we won at home. And I think, yeah, it would be nice to keep a clean sheet as well at home because I don't think we've had one since we beat Preston. 
We yeah. haven't had one since uh, January. Preston, yeah. we conceded. Did we? we lost 3 1 3 1. Bart Kaiser scored. That was it. It's Barnsley back in. I would honestly just would love just a 1 or 2 0 win at home against Mill. It would be just quite nice to have an undramatic, sensible win. Yeah, once. I I don't. But obviously, Aito will be out, so I expect Font to play up front because mm-hmm. I think that's that'll be a better striker to have because he's more technically gifted than um, Kamara. He'll be playing in the likes of Ojo and Session if they're playing. I'm not sure if Ojo will play. I don't know if he can handle another 90 minutes after just coming back. Or, mm-hmm. but I think yeah, Session will hopefully is starting left wing. If he's back to left back, I'll be very very confused yeah. about what on earth is happening. So I don't think Adoy did horrifically badly there. I don't think Adoy did anything as in he lost his man for the last goal but aside from that I thought Adoy had quite a good game yeah I don't know and he had a good game against Derby in fact he was probably my man of the match exactly yeah. and we, we know Taylor Eden can even can, can slot into the left back position as well if need and be and Rafa exactly so, so I think yeah Sessman has to start further forward and Shawnee Kavanagh I wouldn't bring it, I wouldn't bring Johansson back into the side I don't think Oli Norwood did anything remotely bad to deserve being dropped midweek I disagree um, I also don't necessarily think Johansson it needs it should be should be looked at, but as in I think if we're going to bring someone back in there, it might it might even be Tyo Eden, who's obviously quite good at you know driving the ball and carrying the ball forward in, in a way that Norwood for me, while his goal pass for the fifth goal is obviously sensational, tried that pass about eight times and lost the ball eight times before that had happened, and every time we look to go forward and really sort of push on he'd check back and he'd try an outside of the foot pass across the pitch and three like at least three times it got completely cut out another two times it pushed us all the way back to, to the right back where we had to start again and wait for all their players to get behind back behind the ball and I just can't see that you know he, he was that impressive yes obviously he's made up for, you know kind of made up for a point a bit by by Providing the pass for Sessegnon's last goal, but the exactly play was play so in, stretched. He didn't even he didn't exactly play in. No, that's a that's a great yeah. ball. As in credit where it's due, that's a great ball. No, I'm not saying it's not a great ball, but it's not like he played through Ryan Sessegnon. Ryan Sessegnon had a lot to do after yeah. receiving. Yeah, that I, pass. I, I, I think my, the, I came from. I just didn't think Johansson's warranted. No, 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 no but, side. but maybe against a team like Mill, you do actually want someone like Taylor, and you do want someone who's going to be driving forward because we're not exactly going to be under the cosh much. Johansson's yeah, look. Johansson's had a rest. He's had some time off. And, you know, you'd hope that that will ala- enable yeah. him to, to, you know, really start to get back to, to fitness and, and to, you know, in a, in a, with a winning side behind him and some positive mentality, potentially rekindle his partnership with Tom Kearney, which Hopefully, obviously yeah. works so I well. Mean, a good a point I'd make, it, obviously, unlike Kearney and McDonald, he's not a player who I think just slots straight back into a system. As in, I don't think without him we're necessarily a 10 times worse side. No, no, which, not at all. So I, I, we've got a lot of options in centre mid and, we, and we, had, we did last season to an extent as well. So I think... Janssen is someone I think needs to slowly get back into the side and not just be slated. Agreed, agree, but I wouldn't be upset to see his name. Oh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm really annoyed. I'd be, oh, if Aite was fit and he started, I'd, I'd be more annoyed at that, let's say, because I don't think he really offered much. And the full star system isn't exactly going to be that effective against a team like Millwall. But obviously, he's out injured. I would obviously, yeah, keep the front three, except putting Fon in for um, Aite. I would keep the same if we maybe just put Eden in for Nord, but I wouldn't be an issue with that. And then the back four. Can we just please just play a left back at left back? I know Adoy played there for Anderlecht, or I think that's where he came from. And then I think, and then yeah, just play. I don't play Suarez. He's clearly a good left back. Yeah, uh, as in look, that, as in I don't think we none of us would be upset again to see Adoy on, on the sheet after he's had two good performances. You know, we'd all we'd all like Rafa Suarez to be to be in the side, and we'd all like to see what he's got to offer. At that said. You know, to drop a doy after those two performances would probably be harsh. And yeah, if, if I, we weren't, if we weren't, if we weren't actually upset about Suarez not playing to begin with, 
we probably wouldn't be calling for a doy to be dropped. Exactly. I, I also agree with you totally there, Jack. I don't think a doy deserves to be dropped. I think obviously Slav has gone with a doy above Schwarz and he's done nothing to lose his place a doy apart from maybe the fourth goal on on Tuesday. That's but by, the but point by, is, then, by then it was um it was desperate times for all, I yeah, think. Yeah, but that? the point is that if we're the, the only the only arg- the counter argument to this is that Millwall are gonna be a hard side to break down. Than, than Sheffield United were and thus bringing Suarez in offers a different kind of attacking perspective for, uh, attack, attacking option from that kind of left back perspective mm. and I think that that might be you know positive in the long run and this could be the kind of game where you know we said it about maybe about Preston or Bolton at home this could be the kind of game where it might be nice to blood Suarez and see if he's got what it takes yes yeah. uh, we will as you say have that problem we've got a break uh, a team down again at home they're going to come back and sit back and we don't play that s- style of team very well and uh, the most recent example was Bolton where we desperately desperately struggled what what do we need to do do we need to go for it early maybe with Bolton yeah. were we too ponderous in that yeah. first half an hour and what wanted to score the perfect goal for the opener yeah 100% that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell in fact you've, okay. uh, you've nailed it Lovely. Doesn't often happen. Do we want to talk about Millwall briefly? Uh, yes. Uh, return of Sean Hutchinson, uh, which is quite interesting. A player always put in the effort uh, at Fulham. Never quite reached the quality level required. But I, I often I had a lot of time for Sean Hutchinson. He'll probably get a good reception. I wouldn't see why he wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, him and, and obviously the, the king himself, um, King Tunners. Yes, of course. How could I forget? Um but yeah, I mean, look, Hutchinson put in a fair shift. I, I watched a lot of Hutchinson at Millwall and we've had this discussion over and over again, but at, at, not at Millwall, at, at Motherwell before he before he came to Fulham and he did really well with Jackie McNamara alongside him, who was an experienced head who knew how to marshal defence and Sean Hutchinson shone in that kind of environment. When he came into Fulham, he was thrown into a bit of a you know nut job back four, which included Byrne and Stearman Bodgerov. and Bodgerov, who were all <coughs> bloody insane, basically. Um and obviously Hutch didn't really, you know, get... He didn't really do that much to impress. He, he he did okay, but he tended to have a mistake in him per game, which yeah. is not necessarily what you're looking for in your centre-back. But, you yeah, know, at the same us. time, he tried... You know, he, he always put the shift in. He he seemed to like the club. I really th- I thought he could have, you know, shone here under under the right leadership and with someone, you know, to, to marshal him in the right direction. And I was sad that he never really got that, ch- you know, that chance something we you know we know more about Tunnicliffe we know exactly what he's about he's a, he's an engine he's going to run up and down that midfield all day long are you going to be there as they get off the coach I might ask for his autograph there um, look <laughs> sign I'd, the flag I'd be sad I'd be, I'd be sad to see Ryan Tunnicliffe in, in opposition colours but obviously I think he'll get a great reception from the Hammersford end who always who always really liked him I think I think that people people took to Ryan Tunnicliffe because he always worked so hard for the club and you know whether that's rightly or wrongly we should just judge players on their, their work rate Um he he always did. He always put in his a shift, and he he led the club on numbers to get numerous occasions. And he always tried. He always very much tried for for the badge. So, I think that that's to be said. More importantly, Millwall have a really really strong side uh, in terms of the middle, and, and I mean physically strong. Uh, their their centre their centre sort of partnerships in both midfield and and defence are are physical beasts. They know exactly what they're doing, and they they'll be in there to to make it hard to break up play. Um, they have some talent as well. They, you know, let's not let's not take away from that. Steve Morrison and Lee Gregory up front are, 
you know, prolific goal scorers, not necessarily at this level to a point, but have scored wherever they've been throughout their careers and they have a really good partnership. They brought in Jed Wallace this summer who plays on the wing. He's a good player. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of experience there. People like Shane Ferguson still in the side. Um, and Tony Craig, who's obviously a skipper, um, they're they're a good they're a good unit. George Savile's been playing for for Northern Ireland over the course of the World Cup qualifiers and scored a couple of belting free kicks on Saturday. Yeah, and Aidan Aidan O'Brien's has has got his Republic call up as well. So you know there, there are players here that are, work, are are good players. They are good footballers, and I don't think Millwall will go down this season. I think they will very much survive. Yeah, I think I also don't see them. I don't see them getting into the top half of the table, but no. I do see them surviving. Uh, one player that we should probably try and put under a bit of pressure is uh, the keeper Jordan Archer. Had a bit of a stinker versus Sunderland. Now I'm not well versed enough in. Millwall games to know whether that was just a complete blip or if that is something he's prone to doing but certainly a few early shots or a few early fizzing crosses might not be a uh, bad idea if we get a free kick uh, in the right kind of area it might be worth putting him under yeah early doors well I mean he was player of the season for them two years ago I, I believe when their first year in in uh, for league one um, they, he's done well for them in League One. He, obviously, they've not kept too many clean sheets since they've come back up. Um, notably, they've conceded a, a fair few against Ipswich, which was an interesting. I think it was a four-three. Mm. Um, so you know they're, they're they're not averse to conceding goals either. But at the same time, you know these are players who have caliber at this level. Jordan Archer has not had the best year of his career, let's say, uh, at this level. But that's not to say that he's you know by any means a, a bad, a goalkeeper. bad goalkeeper but no, but that no, said maybe. his confidence is surely knocked after the weekend and you'd hope that Fulham put him under some early pressure and, and really really test him out and try and make the most of that bad fortune that he had and Dom this is a real opportunity to try and turn around the home form a little bit it's still only one win this season um, in 11 at, one in at 11. Craven at Craven Cottage one in 11 if you stretch it back to last season as well so as you alluded to earlier just a nice routine 2-0 win could be the tonic to try and reverse that trend a little bit yes yeah, it's not even um, about a home record actually it's about what you said earlier about could this be the kickstart of our season I think we'll find out if Sheffield United was a kickstart at 5pm Saturday because if we win on Saturday which I expect us to even though with our poor home form the confidence would be, we would create from the win on Tuesday would hopefully spur us on to get a good result. And I think, yeah, if we are victorious come 5pm on Saturday, I think you can say, yes, our season has officially started. And we're, well, cause we, every time we seem to have won a game or made a good performance, we haven't bagged it up in the games afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need to do to create a good run of form. We saw what that did last season. Yeah. So I think that's really what it's all about. And we have got, an, a, I wouldn't say easy, there's no such thing as an easy really fixture in this league, apart from if you're maybe playing... Sunderland at home but even then we probably wouldn't win that <laughs> so I think yeah it's just it's, we've, got, we've got this run of games now where we need to just be performing in all of them really and I think it's the perfect game to follow up on a Sheffield United win and I, I do expect us to win this game and hopefully we just play the same way and just fix ourselves defensively and some confidence going into the West London derby wouldn't be a bad thing either exactly um Let's go on to some questions, Jack. Indeed. Um, how is the postbag? Yeah, we've today? had some really good questions. Um, I, I'd like to start with a basic apology to um, to Joe Macken, who was the person who actually called out about trying harder not to bruise egos oh, okay. uh, about Slavisa substitutions. And his question was actually, "What subs would you have made about the sixty-minute mark?" I think we've 
basically dealt with this. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to, to bring it up that, that Joe Joe was the person who uh, who came up shout out to with that. So shout out to Joe. Thank you for your question. Thank you for listening from California, top man. Um, Chris Franks come through with uh, this stat about Ojo, which we mentioned very briefly earlier. Um, so our record this season when Ojo starts is played seven. One five, drawn one, lost one. Goodness. And our, when he doesn't start, played eleven, one naught, drawn seven, lost four. When he plays, we average two point two eight goals a game. When he doesn't, we average zero point six three goals a game. When he plays, we pick up two point two eight points per game. And when he doesn't, we pick up zero point six three. We've, you know, there's a, there's a slight caveat in that some of those games Ojo's gone off and goals have have, have been scored after that mm-hmm. and whatever. But the 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 point is is valid and the point is is straight. Basically, when Ojo plays, we've had high, a points tally higher than Wolves in first over the course of the season. And when he doesn't, when he hasn't played, only Sunderland have a lower points return than us this season. Don't you love statistics? These are the facts. Where's Nick when you need him? Yeah, this is so, a, this is. A, we've said this before, but you can just use statistics to back up any argument you like yeah. but it is, a, it is a valid point to be made I think I, I, I don't necessarily think it's just because Ojo's playing because when he's played before I don't think he's been impressive at all but maybe there's something that everyone's been missing when when he's not on the pitch maybe his his work rate and his in running down the line is what we've, we've actually got missed maybe he may not really create the goals or he, but he might play a pass in a move which is so critical that no one else actually sees it so, or just draws a defender yeah just draws a defender away which lets someone like Sassanian lets someone like uh, Font Kamara whoever you want to put in there make an, another run which then sets up the goal but yeah I think it's a good statistic to look at but I don't think it's really got that much of a sustainable argument or much of an argument I think it's just coincidence more than anything else I'm not 100% sure it's coincidence. I, I do believe what Jack said earlier. I think his ball-carrying abilities down the pitch, relieving pressure, and that's what Aluko could do last season as well. Can you remember that uh, the goal against Reading? It wasn't actually him that scored it. I think it was Lucas Piazza, yeah, but he carried it from the halfway line all the way down the pitch to the byline and crossed it in. And, okay, that was a great example of him doing it, but he would do that two, three times a game. And the amount of pressure that can create, and the territory as well by getting into that final third, Third, is clearly what Ojo is special at and maybe when we're watching the game we haven't been noticing that it, sometimes you only know sometimes you only know what, what you had when it's gone yeah great song yeah um, but I feel like Ojo is one of those players and there are lots of players I think who have this kind of ability to have a positive effect on the team even though they aren't the ones who get the stats Effectively. They're not getting the assists, they're not getting the goals, they're not putting in the brilliant defensive performances or winning the tackles, but just for some reason, having them in the team brings a positive impact on yours, and it's sometimes the small things that they do, and potentially Ojo is just one of those players. We'll see in the next few games whether this has become a bit, whether if we keep on winning more games with him in the side, whether this is just a fluke statistic or whether there is some real substance to it. But yeah, I, I think it's... um. I think it's a great little stat to bring to the table, so thank you. I think it's important to to, to bear in mind something that Shea Ojo is on loan from Liverpool and he's someone that has actually done the business, yeah, not very often, but in the Premier League. He has played in the Premier League, I think he's got an assist in the Premier League and, and has started games for Liverpool in, in, in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. That must play on the mind of defenders. Even, you know, if they've got Sessegnon on one wing who's hailed as Britain's brightest prospect 
and they've got Shea Yojo on the other wing, who's a Liverpool loanee, who's been who's known who's known that they can do it in the Premier League, and also plays for England under twenty ones, and is also seen as a very bright prospect. They're going, hang on, which wing is the which wing are we you know which wing are we defending here? Which which one of these is is the bigger threat? And I think that that allows everyone else more time and space, especially someone like Tom Kearney then, who has time on the ball in the middle and can look to pick the passes that you know unlock defenses. And I think that that's probably mental as much as anything else but I imagine that that plays a part there's also not been in recent weeks many players for the opposition to have to concentrate on we said on Monday how it felt like our only outlet was Ryan Fredericks on the right the only player who was willing and able to take players on and beat them and just the more players that we have like that in our side the better because as you say defenders don't know which player they've got to mark which players they've got to watch out for so yeah I think there is some method to the to stats madness. madness that's been brought Indeed. up by Chris so thank you Chris that was a wonderful statistics and, and we really did enjoy I've got this one I'm going to start with Dom it's from Lester Wyatt who says having emphatically ent- identified who the first choice wide players should be at Sheffield away is it time Slav settled on an out and out striker give them a run of five six games instead of the constant chopping and changing yes it's basically the answer and I think it should be it should be Rory Font because I mean, I've mentioned this I don't know how many times a season that you don't spend nine million pound on one striker or fifteen pound on two to just keep chopping and changing it or just for them to not be that good they clearly are very good technical players Rui Font has got his critics at, at the club because obviously and through the fans because obviously he hasn't been amazing so far apart from that Ipswich away game but how is a striker supposed to be breed confidence if he doesn't know if he's going to be playing the next week or he doesn't know where he's going to be playing I think yeah. we need to just pick a side and stick with it we saw how, how effective that was last season that the, the chemistry between the players just builds and builds and builds if we're playing the same 11 every week I know I know using Leicester's title winning seasons are not exactly the best example but it's why they won. Why they won? Because every player knew where every player's been making a run. How each how each other plays, and that's only the best way we're going to go forward. And I think that we clearly know that Kamara as a striker is better coming off the bench than he is starting when the defenders are more tired. So I think yeah, we should just stick with Font and keep going because he's clearly got technical ability, so we can play in the likes of Cessna and Ojo. And I, yeah, it's a very good point to make, but I'd say yes, and the answer's for Font. Yeah, Rui Font's the answer. Um, he needs a goal, doesn't he? That's that's what Rui yeah. Font desperately, desperately needs. It's actually now going to be nearly three months since he got a goal. Have mm. I got bad maths there? He hasn't scored yeah. since the end of August. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, so he's been a long old time, let's put it that way, since getting a goal. And, and I'm a striker. <coughs> I'm not a very good striker. Oh, um, but... You just need goals, don't you? Yeah. Strikers live and breathe on on getting goals, and he's never been massively prolific in his career. He's never been a get thirty goals a season. But you go as long as he has without scoring, the confidence goes. And if he gets one, maybe two against Millwall, I bet we see him uh, not only getting more goals in future games, but just a level up in performance because of the confidence. So I would definitely start him on Saturday. And to answer the question more specifically from Leicester yes let's just give Rui Font two three games up front and let's see what he can do and 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 Dom's also bang on about Kamara being better as an impact sub I, I assume you probably agree with all this Jack yeah of course um, I think it, I think it goes deeper than that in fact I think what you do is with with having a settled front three and I think the, the focal point is probably the most important of those front three and obviously Sess and Ojo have both state their claim to you know to be starting players week in week out but I think that you know you look at something like QPR where we actually did play quite well for, for most of the game 
Fulton was the middle man alongside, you know, and it was it was Mollo on one wing, I, I believe, at the time. And he, you know, he did link up the play really well and brought the wingers into play. And, and yeah, we didn't, you know, dominate possession or score loads of goals in the way that we did, you know, against when uh, against United. But it was it we 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 looked like a cohesive unit and he looked like he was able to bring in players and link up the player and do all those kind of things that you need him to do and i think against derby font looked quite good and i said this on monday and i'll say it again and i'm sure that this won't be the end of it you hear it but you know all he needed was a couple of balls from tom kenny to play him in and and really to, to test those fullbacks uh, center backs and see if he could get behind them and i think that the more you play with him there and the more that he practices in terms of playing with two wingers he knows and tom kenny behind him the more cohesive that unit is going to be and the more kenny's through balls will start to find font and i think when that happens we will have a striker who knows you know how to go direct through the middle to goal and I think you'll see as a result that he will be in the box more because he won't be coming deep to get the ball as much when he knows that the ball is coming from behind him and mm-hmm. I think that's crucial to the, the development of him in our system right let's uh, thank you for that question that was an excellent question Lester I'm going to go on to Lawrence Peterman's question he says apart from Wolves who appear to be better than everyone else um, who do you see as the other side for automatic promotion he says Villa due to their squad transfer budget in January and manager who has all the experience of promotion Dom yeah, I'd, I'd say Aston Villa. You have got Sheffield United and you have got um, Cardiff, that's it, who are both teams who I think have just had a good start to the season and will eventually peter off, but you never know. Sheffield United clearly have goals in the team and apart from the game against us, they have seen quite sound defensively, so there is no reason they shouldn't be there and obviously the, the, it wasn't impressive Cardiff against us really, so no. I would say Aston Villa just because they've got the players, they've got the manager who've all done it before, so... Yeah, I'd say Aston Villa. Sheffield United, actually, we didn't mention this, but Paul Coots is a massive loss for them. And, yeah. uh, and lots of their fans are wondering if potentially him being out for the season might be a start of a decline for them because he's a massively influential player. I think Villa are going to be there or thereabouts. I, th- I think when, when a club like that starts going on a run and Villa Park seems to be turning into a bit of a fortress now I think they might just be a little bit of an unstoppable force and they also they're, don't want to become the next Leeds United or Nottingham Forest yeah they're desperate to get back out of the division and not that every other team isn't but certainly Villa they don't see themselves in any way shape or form as a championship club they see themselves as a Premier League team that happens to be in the championship and as you say the longer they're in this division they've got a big big chance of becoming a Leeds the other side's in there yeah, I, I still don't see Sheffield United or Cardiff sustaining it. I really think Bristol City are dark, dark horses. They were brilliant when they came uh, to the cottage. They got a bit of a dodgy result on Tuesday, but I, I'm certain they're going to be in the playoffs. I, I think they'll be in the playoffs. I, I still think, I think, yeah, Villa, Villa would be my favourites as the second spot. I still think Borough have the ability to do to, to, to turn their season around and, well, not turn it around. They're, they're doing fine, but as in to really push on in the second half of the season. Um, but I'm massively impressed with Sheffield United. Sheffield United, who, yeah, without their main midfielder, I think Samir Carruthers when he came on looked excellent for them and really did like, take the game to Fulham. You can argue that that's about the, the loss of McDonald as much as it is about Carruthers' ability. But I think he will end up being the long-term replacement for Coots in the middle there um, their, their wide players looked good against us David Brooks came on and, and, and impressed you know Sharp and Clark yeah they're not the youngest you know chicks in the box but they uh, they are both very capable of scoring a, a lot of goals and I think they both will do this season um, 
Wilder is an immense manager uh, and as long as they keep Wilder I think Sheffield United have got to be in that promotion picture and I think that I'm I would doubt nothing about them being in the playoffs and I would suggest that they are probably the, the second in contention for those automatic that second automatic spot behind behind Villa. Is there anyone else that you think, because Fulham are looking to rise from like mid-table and try and get back in that playoff hunt, not that I think it will happen, I still think we may have left ourselves with way too much to do. Do you think there are any other sides around us that are underachieving? I'm thinking Sheffield Wednesday. I'm also thinking Reading, who have... Uh, started to pick up a little bit of run of form, although bad result for them against Bolton, even though they scraped a draw. Do you think there's any other teams that could rise from mid-table to potentially have a good second half of the season? Reading aren't underperforming. They've reverted to type. This is like, <laughs> this isn't a thing. We said this for the entirety of last year that Reading were playing way above their means. And this year, they've literally just reverted to what they should be at. That is the level that Reading squad is. And Yapstam isn't a good manager. This is like, it's, it's a farce, this entire thing that Reading are a good side. They're not, they're rubbish. Like, as in, Reading should not have been in the playoff final last year. They they somehow managed to string a particular str- uh, results together where they'd win 1-0 against teams who just suddenly couldn't break them down, even though they'd break down teams three or four times the calibre of Reading's. And yeah, it worked. It very nearly worked the whole way. Um, but imagine if Reading were in the, imagine if Reading were in the Premier League. Like, as in, look at them. They're the they the toilet, and it's it's simple to. I know it sounds easy to say now that they are struggling, but this is what we said. And you know, if you listen to something like not the top twenty, where George and Ali were were talking about this for the entirety of last season, they just said that Reading were playing like six or seven times above what they should have been and that the fact that everything they their shots to goals ratio was obscene like in terms of how high it was and that their, their expected goals were like one a game but they were winning every game one nil and ultimately what's happened is they've been found out and and, and it's simple as that okay off reading what yeah, about Brentford, other Brentford. It, okay. it pains me to say it every time but Brentford are <coughs> underperforming being next to us and we are too um, and both of us should be higher in the table than we are mm. and I imagine that we are going to have a you know a gigantic tussle when we come to Griffin Park on uh, next next week what's um, left in the post bag that is, is, is empty that is mostly it no there were, we've, we've answered a lot of the questions um, before there's some about the jan- transfer window but I think we're going to leave them for a, for a little while yeah um, I think we, we, we'll wait to the wait to the transfer window sort of is closer before we address those questions um, that's mostly it uh, Nick Nick McNee says would you rather fight 100 duck sized farrels or one farrel sized duck mm, I think I'd go for the latter yeah, one farrel sized duck, I think. Yeah, that's the uh, answer all round. Indeed. Because that's well, not a very big duck. No, no, precisely. It's, it's probably the size of a normal duck, yeah. actually. <laughs> Basically, what you've asked, Nick, is could you fight one duck or a hundred ducks? Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll go with the duck. But thank you for um, thank you for all your questions as ever. Um, please send us those ones about the transfer window closer to, to the transfer window. And we will obviously address January coming coming closer to it. But we'll wait until we've had a, a couple more results before we, we decide who we want to sign in January, I think. A couple of little bits of admin. First up, shout out Matt O'Reilly. Oh yeah, big Matt O'Reilly, friend of the pod. Um, do you want to uh, clear up what's happened for any that haven't seen on Twitter? Uh, Matt O'Reilly has signed a new deal um, and it broke afterwards that he had actually turned down Arsenal uh, and potentially Man City to, to, to sign a new deal with Fulham. So uh, we posted a song in, in, in sort of homage to, to Matt O'Reilly. We? Uh, okay, I posted a song in homage to Matt O'Reilly, and Matt O'Reilly liked it. So we're uh, shout out to Matt O'Reilly's shout dad. Out to Matt O'Reilly's dad always. Dom O'Reilly had a good conversation with him after the uh, second game in Poznan. Great musician. 
Exactly. If you listen to his music, listen to it. It's great. Is he officially in Friend of the Pod camp? Yeah, yeah. Friend of the Pod. Um, and also uh, a Collins column, I presume, coming up Collins uh, in coming the next couple of days. Today. Today. Uh, and, a, and a new preview for Millwall uh, done by our, our before-the-whistle guru, George Singer. So loads to read right now as you're listening to this at fullamish.co.uk. So we need a title for today's podcast. What are you thinking? Well, I actually wanted to call it Welcome Home Tunners. No. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> I thought that might happen. <laughs> so, because uh, I love RT19, it's not RT, he's actually RT18 now. Oh, is he? Um, he's yeah. minus RT19. He's, he's lost, minus he's lost one. one. Oh, really? The one okay. is me. Oh, um, <laughs> he's cool. yeah, so that's 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 not been ruled out, unfortunately. So, I, I think in honor of our uh, 17 year old protege, um, and you know, in because we like puns, I'm gonna go with uh, blood, sugar, cess, magic. Beautiful. Is that magic with the K? Yeah, obviously. If you're going to quote Red Hot Chili Peppers album, you better quote it right. It's a great album as well. It's a good album. I like that name a lot. All right, well, uh, we will be back on Monday with another pod looking back at the Millwall game and also then previewing the big West London derby. My ticket is right here. Yeah. For me and also friend of the pod, Dave Preston. Oh, lovely, lovely. We, uh, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a big one. That's sold out, actually. Sold out a bit quicker than I thought it yeah, was. Yeah, big day in Brentford. So um, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Jack Collins, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Sammy. Don Betts, thank you very much. No worries. See you later, bye. Laters, toodles. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.